0: always be very customer-centric, but you own your product roadmap and never your customers.
1: Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan.
2: Matthias, warm well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today.
0: Thank you, Silvan. It's a big pleasure to be here tonight.
2: You are a successful founder, a board member, and also a startup investor. So that's quite an impressive, sure. I'm sure we have a lot to talk about. And we do want to start with your personal background first. If you had to sum up your life in 10-year spans, you mentioned that to me in the prep call, there are always different 10-year spans. Can you talk a bit more about the different spans of your life that that you experienced so far? Yeah, I think
0: uh, it's when I explain to people who don't know me, my life, I kind of like to break it down in chapters. And that's why I came up with these decade steps. Well, I, I cheat a bit because the first decade is only five years. That's when I learned how to walk and talk. Not too many memories, but I think a very good early childhood. And then from the age five to 15, I was a complete different person to the one Everyone knows me by today. I was very shy. I was very introverted. I just played by the rules. That means all I cared about is being correct and good in school and be correct and good in sports. That means I played the sport my dad already played, which was team handball, and tried to be as good as I could there. Mm-hmm. And in school, I just, in the end, I choose my matura typus by. What my best friend back then did, so I did not really have my own will, my decision power, etc. I was just following mainstream and trying to do to be the best in in that sense. Then big change for me from the age to fifteen to twenty five. Um, I think biggest single event was my foreign exchange year I did with at the age of seventeen, when I went to the U.S. and I kind of thought, hey, I. Probably should more think about who I am and what I want to achieve in my life. And, you know, it's good when you go to a foreign country and no one knows you. So it's a Greenfield um, um, way and you can just start redefining yourself. And then I realized, hey, it's actually cool to be outgoing, to meet new people, to try out new things, new sports. And of course, having my sporty background and being good in academics helped, you know, to adapt quickly to life, to make friends, etc. But it, it was not that. the The main thing was, hey, there is other stuff um, I can do, I can learn. Um, it's about risk taking, getting to know more people, and not just follow the rules. So that I think for my entrepreneurial spirit, that was the thing that changed. And then I came back, finished my matura, and then decided to to go to Zurich to study. Um so ETA was my university I picked and the environmental science was the degree. Yeah. Um environmental science um definitely because the year between matura and starting university I took one year out. Mm-hmm. Good advice for everyone do that um because these these in between times are the most valuable ones. I traveled the world and I realized hey there's only one planet and you know it's such a such a great planet we all live on um, but it's in danger and um that the pick of environmental sciences was a very purposeful, purpose-driven one that I said, hey, we need to protect as much as my, I can. I think mine and, and our generation's main, main challenge is, is to actually save that planet and, and pass it on to next generation so they can enjoy it as much as we can. So that was kind of there in between. Then I finished till 25 and that um, felt really really self-confident about my rede- rede- redefinition. I still did a lot of sports and I still wanted to be good at school, but there was a lot more to my personality by then. Then um, next decade, 25 to 35, was actually starting um, to to work um, or to really work. Um, and that, that was when... When I worked for Unique, I kept playing handball. I um, was running the handball club as a president. So there was entrepreneurial experience already there.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I learned many more sports like kite surfing, kept on traveling, kept on learning other languages and seeing other cultures. Um, so still a very broad, you know, packing my backpack yeah. with many experience. For then, for from 35 to 45, when when it went, really came down to when I said, now it's time to focus, and that was true for the private life. So I started my family, I'm having the three kids that was in this this decade, and also business-wise. When I said, hey, we want to try, and then I say we, and we talk about it, Simon and myself actually founded two companies um, at the beginning of this decade. First was a consulting company, and then the second one, Kumram, uh, the software company, which actually had a scalable business model, and that's what we did. And that's Till three years ago. Now I'm I'm 48, and I would say the next decade is again broadening up, widening up, um, um, using that focused experience from the, the, the previous decade to actually pass that on and 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 yeah, um, enjoying again the broadness because um, what I really realized to be laser focused. You need to be that in certain periods of life. Mm -hmm. For myself, I cannot be
2: that all the time because I gain a lot of energy from doing different things at the same time. I can definitely relate to that. So I think there's already so much wisdom in just that beginning and also very interesting. I I never had any guest in here that actually split his life or introduction decades. So that's a very refreshing take. Thank you for that. You're welcome. And I wonder, you mentioned, you know, going between broad and being very specific and laser-focused, and now there's a more broad period coming up again. How do you actually decide it when you want to go very specific and focus on just one thing? What helped you to, to really focus on that specific thing? Well, I think for the family
0: matter, biology, um, <laughs> because <laughs> we... We had our three children in, in very short distance and, and, yeah. and it just, you know, it takes a lot of energy and folks to get that going. And I right. mean I'm a co-founder there as well, but I mean there all the credit goes to my wife, you know, who was the operational leader in, in that. Um uh, and and the second one um is that was more a cognitive decision. That's not nature. I wanted yeah. It was a dream to have an enterprise and try everything I can with all the energy and all the focus and bring that to a success, mm-hmm. which in our case was the exit, having the finish line, the exit in mind from the start. Yeah. Um, and that's what we went for.
2: Yeah. Simon told us in in his episode that the exit was actually planned from day one. That was always your goal to create a company and make a successful exit to also make money out of that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, we knew um, we we can be good at different things, but yeah. for us, the enterprise was to have a scalable business model which generates enough value that, you know,
2: someone is interested enough to actually offer some money and, and buy us, right? Right. And in that regard, you know, it seems that to make money as an entrepreneur or to be successful as an entrepreneur, you need to have this certain focus, this laser focus, so I just want to highlight or ask questions about how is this inter-game or interchange between going very broad to probably understand where you want to focus on to then be able to make enough money as an entrepreneur to then live a more broad life again? How would you describe that, you know, interference, the relationship between going broad and going specific? A Super good question. and And I don't have... The, the proper
0: and and one and only answer because of course being an entrepreneur per se is a very broad discipline True. so it's not it's more from a mental framework where I said hey everything all my priorities either go to Qumram or family and yeah. there was no third fourth fifth priority yeah and, you know, that's, that's when I go running, my thoughts before actually I could kind of flow away and, right. and, and, and empty my brain <laughs> or taking a shower or waking up in the morning. It was always one of those two topics. Yep. And that's, you know, to be in that mental state, to always have that and, and make it not too heavy. I mean, that's then, that's then the art of being an entrepreneur, and we talk about this later, right. to actually not, you know, that the burden on your shoulder is not too heavy because it's always top of your mind and you always need to to think, to success, what is the next win, et cetera.
2: Yeah. Got it. So yeah, it, there's no final answer, but you probably go with the phone do you feel when it's time to focus and when it's time to go broad? Uh, yeah, oh, but, but I think you also have to take a decision
0: because like for me, like, and I think Simon as well, by nature, we are broad. Mm-hmm. We're generalists. We we uh, and we would always, you know, see other options, three other opportunities. Right. So for us, it was really a, a mental decision, and yeah. and you know, we had to remind one another every now and then that all we do right now is Kumram.
2: Yeah. How do you actually deal with these challenges? Because I can imagine, you know, if things don't go as planned, and then you might think, hey, maybe I do something, some little things on the side, or I do something else on top of of Kumram. Um, you know, how did you keep kept going and also kept the focus on both of you? Well, it helps
0: that you, that we that you are two, so yeah. you can keep reminding um, each other and, and making sure we're still aligned with our with our goals and targets. And then, um, um, coming from sport, I I know if you think too much outside
2: um, your home turf, your home game, it's not yeah. going to do you any good. Fair point. You also mentioned your first working experience at Unique is an important decade. We also did some research recently where we dug out the Swisspreneur startup mafias. And Unique is one of those mafias where many other companies basically came out from either as investors or founders, it is in your case. So what made Unique such a special you know, area or company that so many cool startups like Students.ch, Rentouch, for example, and also, of course, Kumram actually came out of that, that area.
0: Yeah, and there, there are many more. Yeah, and exactly. I think um, m- most credit, um, I would say, is with the founder team, a young founder team, which, you know, they were open enough and they respected every new employee and saw them already as small entrepreneurs themselves. So they mm-hmm. led us um, by by giving a lot of responsibility, but also a lot of freedom. And so all the first hires were actually entrepreneurial types and not, you know, not we didn't have to have a certain education or background, just okay. willingness to be part of the journey. So that's credit to the founder team. And then the second one is really the first HR um, lady who, who who got hired was Daniela Schlapfer, And I think a lot of credit goes to her because she did in the hiring process and also in the employee coaching process, she really valued the entrepreneurial spirit super high. Mm-hmm. And then the entire HR team followed that. And I
2: think that's, in the end, the second secret sauce of that, of that unique mafia. Got it. And yeah, you also met Simon, your co-founder there. So what actually then led to the two of you to start a company together? What made him the right co-founder, basically? Well, you know, it's it, it,
0: for me, humans and, and relation with humans is the most important. That's the energy of my life. And Simon was, uh, you know, one, one of these uh, humans. I felt something special right from the start. And he was number six at Unique. I was number 10. So there was still like a small family. Yeah. And I lived in Zurich, but worked in Bern. He had an apartment um, in Bern, so I stayed there overnight, and, and, and then it, you know, it started to develop. It, it was a really good friendship in, a, in the beginning, because at Unique, we, we didn't have so much interaction because he was really the CTO on the tech side, and mm-hmm. I was taking care of the go-to-market and all the project management. Yep. But privately, we connected really well, which led you know to several travel experiences together, living experience together. Um, after breaking up, heavy relationship, we were the first one. You know, to uh, to to uh, to have a bit broad shoulder for each other, etc. So that brings us really brought us close together, and then with our complementary skill set, we knew um, that actually this was a was a was a great um, uh, um, team setup to start something together. Yep.
2: So you really do share history together, many uh, ups and downs, personal and business-wise. Do you think that this is really uh, the, the right setup to find co-founders instead of just, you know, going out there and say, okay, you, I don't know you for that long, let's just start a company together. Do you have an advantage if you already know each other for that long?
0: Definitely, definitely. But I have a good example where that it can also work the other way around. Okay. My wife and I, we... Did not know each other a very long time before we had our first child. So there is it can work as well. I think you feel it quite early um, if there is a right match um, on, on chemistry and everything. But of course, all the experience you have together and you build up is just this this level of trust gets even higher and the understanding of each other's personality is is important. And this is, again, this is true for private life, for family life, as well as for business.
2: Yeah. yeah, you only see the real faces of each other if you probably spend enough time together. That's right. So we, of course, also covered the, the journey uh, with Simon's episode, but I think it's still important to give people some context. So please walk us a bit through what Kumram exactly did. What problem did you solve? What was the first uh, idea that you were basically working on together?
0: Well, we said, look,
2: Internet is so important, websites are so
0: important. So probably someone needs to record them in case someone needs to know what happened in the past or what was written in the past on the website. You can, you can recall that. And first, we did that on static content. You, for example, what were the conditions of this bank mm-hmm. tw- 12 months ago? So you could you could watch that again. Nice. And then the second step and the evolution of the product was not just what is the static content, but what actually were the users doing on that eShop, on that banking application. And that's what it's called um, uh, behavior analytics or user session recording. And that's then the second, the second part.
2: Got it. And why was actually the timing right to start Qumram in two thousand and ten? Because the timing is always a very big question, but that is also easily overlooked to a certain degree.
0: No, and, and we'll we'll get to it. So the the financial crisis in two thousand eight two thousand nine was a big um, help for us because we were focusing on on financial services and the entire compliance and regulation um, increase was dramatically by then. And then you and then the internet. You know was growing so all the banks knew they had to do more mobile more website etc mm-hmm. so 2010 was definitely the right moment to start with this kind of idea
2: and also to pick financial services of, of one of the target industries yeah got it and, you know, you basically had a good career going on at Unique. Uh, you then started the consulting company together before uh, building Cumram. So what actually led you to the conclusion to jump into being self-employed or into entrepreneurship instead of just going for a well-ongoing corporate career that would probably take you in a very good spot if you just stay there long enough? No, as I said...
0: Um... Having that experience in the US and and going to new um, new ventures, new ideas, and and I had to try something out. I knew that always. I it, it could have been sport, but it it, it definitely was the entrepreneurial um, uh, idea which attracted me most by then. And the consulting company we started from the beginning just as a as a, as a base company to, to give us enough freedom to think about other ideas. And, and Simon told you, you know, he had many ideas, yeah. but Kumram was the one I jumped on and said, yeah, this one <laughs> this one will bring to the Champions League.
2: Yeah. How, walk us through these days, like how much do they actually work? Because you still need time and also room to think, right? If you want to come up with a compelling business idea. So you had to pay bills. So you had to have some income with the consulting company, but... Did you work full-time there? Did you split to part-time and also reserve some time to think or to build prototypes? How do you spend your time back then?
0: It was always um, between two and and four days of consulting work. And the rest was really trying out ideas.
2: Nice. I like that. And then when was the feeling that you say, hey, now we really found something and now we need to go into that full-time and double down on that? When was that moment?
0: I mean, I thought when Suva, the big Swiss insurance company contacted us and asked for such a a web recording software, I thought, hey, that's perfect. We have a customer, we have a product market fit. Uh, You know, it it ended up not to be so true, but for me, that was the the main reason, hey, we already have a customer and they were super good. They helped us to to, um, develop the, uh, the version one of the product. And that's why I jumped on this idea. Did I really think if I, if that was my passion, if that was the purpose of my life? No, but I saw there is a market fit.
2: That's very interesting because many people, they, they wait for that perfect fit, you know, where they say it somehow enlightens me and I feel that this is my purpose, but that will eventually never happen. So how do it then still give you the push to, to go forward? Was the one client or potential client enough or was there something else?
0: No, I mean, th- there was the market situation we touched upon before where we had the financial crisis. So I, I saw also the market opportunity um, and, and in the end it was like, no, I want to build a company um, um, in, in a B2B sauce model. that was already a bit in the back because we thought that we can scale. Mm-hmm. I knew... With Simon's skill set, we have I have the right co-founder to do this, yeah. um, and and you know you can you can start in the Swiss market if you focus on banks. There is actually probably the, the only market besides pharmaceutical where you actually have enough enterprises to at least get yeah. you started.
2: And let's talk about these early challenges that you faced. You decided to bootstrap Kumram in the early days. And that's a big challenge by itself, right? So why did you choose this path and not go for investor money as soon as the first clients were knocking on your doors?
0: Yeah, that's one of the learnings. Um, if I, I would do it differently by now, but but as I said, we had a customer, so we had revenue. We shortly after won the Swiss Railway, um, UBS and ZKB. So we had traction very early on uh, mm-hmm. and revenue. And so we could build and, and bootstrap on that. Um, and then we just did on the side, a bit of fundraising, okay. which, which we were not successful at. And then we started hiring, we started growing and then what do you do? And, and I did what I thought I'm more successful at. I was winning new customers and getting the money from there. Um, instead of seriously looking into uh, investors' money, because that would have had many benefits. And maybe one I would like to stretch, because I think that's interesting for for many founders. If you bootstrap, you're so dependent on your first customers and on your next deal that you are most likely... um, pivoting too much because you just need this next win this next enterprise win yep. and you don't really stick to your strategy to your plan to to the roadmap while when you have the funding that gives you more um strategic power strategic base money to actually follow what you should be doing yep. and i think we 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 were we landed in that bootstrapping trap um and you know it could have it could have gone the wrong way at the end of 2014. So so three years after funding, uh, founding, mm-hmm. we, were, we were close to be bankrupt.
2: I, I think it's a very important point that you mentioned here, because if you do bootstrap, also in general, if, if companies, big potential customers come to you and ask for changes then you suddenly end up creating custom software instead of building something that you can actually scale, right? That's the, the real issue behind that. Exactly.
0: And, and the background, you know, coming from Uniq as a service company, yeah, our consulting work. So our yeah. mindset and my mindset, so always making customer happy mm-hmm. is not the real mindset to build a product
2: company. That's a big quote. So how did you avoid that trap? What did you do differently to then not go bankrupt and still build a successful company?
0: Um, Well, then we did some changes in the team. We were lucky enough to attract Patrick Barnard. Um, He actually came in as CEO. I stepped down from the CEO position. I think that was um, probably the biggest single change. But we did also all the changes um, in the board as well. Um, and then we had we had three friends, fools or family members, or however you want to call them, who actually gave us money to survive. Yeah. And then from then on we we started to do the the fundraising seriously and in the end of of the year 2015 we actually had a first financing round. We were still winning customers on the side and I think from then on, then it's second half of Qumram, which mm-hmm. then was a classical startup with 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 investors, um, with external funding and and if you imagine, Having that friends and family and full round in April 2015, and actually selling the company in November 2017, it's an extremely short period yeah. where where we achieved that.
2: That's a pretty nice uh, timeline for an exit That's from an investment to
0: exit. That's an incredible, and I mean, you can imagine some of the investors. You know, I mean, hardly none of these investors ever had such a short period yeah. where they were invested sure.
2: in a in a in a startup. Yeah. You set the bar pretty high for future startups.
0: <laughs> yeah, but it, as it, you know, you cannot really compare because you heard the bootstrapping phase before. True. And, and, you know, there, there are always different ways. And I would never say there is one playbook that, that you should follow. But make some decisions, um, which I think I shared with you. Don't get trapped. If you have first customers, if they yeah. keep telling you what your product should look like, um the CTO of, from Dynatrace, you know, who, who, who bought us afterwards, he actually said, always be friendly to your customer, always listen to your customer, mm-hmm. always be very customer centric, but you own your product roadmap
2: and never your customers. Yeah. So how do you then actually design what you wanted to build in terms of the product? I know this is also something that is more in Simon's area, but you were also involved there. So how do you make sure that you build the right thing, but also stay true to your strategy?
0: Um well we were we were still hustling because the Patrick who joined us and then we were kind of the, the three in in the leading team um we were all very um um deal driven so we wanted to make every other deal so yeah, we right. did not really step back from that winning every pitch we can mentality But we had the the luck that we also hired Pete Kunst as head of product management, Mm -hmm. supporting Simon, and he brought some clear structure, clear processes
2: in that, that the product did not actually pivot as much as we did in sales. Got it. And, you know, you mentioned before, you and Simon, you always had new ideas and also different ideas that were and still are appealing to you. So they just didn't stop when you were focusing down on, on Kumbhram. So how did you deal with potential ideas or other potential things or features that you could do on top of what you're already doing? Um, well, well sometimes we
0: just, we just developed and try them out. Okay. And, and uh, that's a good way. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> failed fast.
2: Pretty resource intense. I can imagine.
0: Exactly. And that's in the end, you know, that's, uh, it, it goes on the, on the extra hours. You cannot do that um, on the side, but, um, for our personalities, we needed that, um, and and I, I mean, on the product side, we there's a good example. You know, all of a sudden, the banks were starting to communicate over WhatsApp, the investment yeah. bank. so. And we said, hey, it would be cool if we could record WhatsApp. And that was actually not our strategy to record third party and platforms. Mm-hmm. But but Simon was so quick with his team in Barcelona. So they did that. We announced it, our marketing team, then in London, they were sh- so good in, in creating a lot of noise. So we announced that we got a lot of publicity. And um, that's why I say, look, were we then with the investors a lot more strategic? Um we probably should have been, but you know, you cannot really change that DNA. And right. the Kumram DNA was just going and trying out many things. Um, and that's also a good, good lesson learned. Um, you don't, If you have the, the founders who are so creative and go so broad, mm-hmm. then you definitely need good first hires with that really focused strategic mindset because strategy is mostly not what to do, but what not to do. And and we were not good. Simon and I are not
2: good in saying no. (laughs) I can imagine. But that's a really interesting learning. So understand yourself first. And I think they also, you know, your your trips to the US helped a lot, you know, to better understand who are you, what's important to you, to then understand yourself and then accommodate in the hiring and the team setup to compensate for the things where you might not be that good at or where, where you might have some drawbacks where you know exactly, no this isn't something that I'm super good at that I like doing. So we need someone else on the team who is actually enjoying that and who is world-class at doing that. Yeah. And maybe to take that broader
0: for everyone had diversity really matters. And I think, yeah. you know, you had podcasts with Valerie, for example, who was really strong on diversity. And I think everything she said, I would, I would sign immediately. And, and, and and we try to do that as well. So, for example, then the leadership team in in these last two years, there we were six, and two of them were female. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's one um, diversity aspect, but also the the one on the on the on the on the employee side. I think at the end we were close to forty employees, including the freelancers by the exit. And I think we once counted we were twenty or twenty-one nationalities nice. and and the languages yeah. we spoke, and it's just it helps, you know, it's. Yeah. Again, for the structure and to follow the strategy, don't expect that f- from diversity mm-hmm. because diversity more, you know, brings in creativity, ideas, etc. cetera. Yeah. But it also helps you because some of the cultures in there, they say, hey, look, this might be interesting, but that's just an acad- academic exercise, right? Uh, and others, you know, they would they are always too polite, culturally, they would never speak up. But no, diversity wins. It's not always the fastest way, but it's definitely the best way.
2: I agree we We also have that at the Swisspreneur team, and it's I couldn't imagine a world without that. I mean, the input from the team, I really think that like no ego, and we really try to make the best decision with a perspective from every possible angle. and that's, yeah, just so much better, yeah, no, um, and yeah. I'll do that, embrace that.
0: I know it's not easy in Switzerland to actually hire. You know, we we heard that on your episodes before and and to actually hire here, but sometimes um, we had to go abroad. So we had our development centers outside of Switzerland, which is also a feasible way.
2: Absolutely. One thing you already mentioned before, you did step down as CEO. So you served as CEO for four years, but then decided to step down and hand it over to someone else. I can imagine that's a super emotional, but also difficult step to take. So, how do you manage that? I mean, I get this question asked a lot. Um,
0: for me as a team player, it's, it's not so important. If, I mean, the same thing between my age five to 15, not possible. I was, yeah. I needed the number 10 on my back. I needed to, <laughs> to make the calls. But that's part of the evolution of my personality. Now, I just want to be on winning teams. And it doesn't matter um, if I'm the playmaker, if I'm the CEO. Um, I just want to help the team to be to be better. And at mm-hmm. the stage we were, I mean, the load on my shoulders was just too big. I mean, with the three, the third child was born in 2014. So there was no sleep, no recovery time. Um, and I was just, you know, when Patrick could have said he wants... President, CEO, and 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 almost all our shares. I yeah. would have said yes because he was the right person to add and bring this team um, on the on the success back to the successful road.
2: Nice. And one other thing that is very impressive to me is you you've always worked in business development. That's like really one of your core strengths that you have. Very often here in Switzerland, that is used as a synonym to sales because sales is not that shiny or doesn't enjoy a good reputation as it does in the US. So from your perspective, from your experience, what is business development, what is sales? Are they the same? What are the differences? No, well, I think I mean we, we need to do an
0: episode especially on sales and business development because that's the that's the discipline we're lacking most in Switzerland. I think we all agree, all founders agree. And um, just just to answer your question anyway, um is Sales is when you already know your market, you have a proven reproducible use case, um, a value prop, then you can actually have a a process and you just follow that through. That is when sales come into place. But before that, when you have to figure out what is the perfect product market fit, what is the value prop, when you have to educate, evangelize the market to actually Mm -hmm. get there, then it's then it's a lot more um, um uh, business development. You also need to understand how does the market work, what is the market size, and all these things. As sales, he does not care about. He just yeah. wants a target list or a, or a territory, and and then he runs. And so, for us, we actually never really at Kumram. We never really got to the to the state where we where we could have sales running around except for switzerland there we had okay. then we with patrick Sigenthaler, we hired a sales guy who I was actually doing that mm-hmm. but for all the market we were still in the state of of business development
2: got it so in that regard what worked well when you did business development and what didn't do you have any you know recommendations or learnings to share Um, I, I, I think what we did and in in
0: the end, because if you do it often, it works well. We were, we were famous for winning a lot of um, FinTech awards. Mm -hmm. So we were there. That's a timing question. When the first FinTech wave hit the globe, we were out there and pitching and and doing that well. And once you won a few awards, you know, you're on the list of every jury and then winning gets easier. (laughs) And, but then we realized FinTech got too broad. And right. that's not the real marketing message, but we realized there is a new thing evolving called Rectech, a mm-hmm. subdiscipline within fintech. And then I think we did really well in, in positioning ourselves as, as the Rectech company. I also brought here a, um, uh, an award we won in the US on, on the West Coast saying best tech company, Kumram. Yeah, you two. can't
2: see it, but it looks very fancy.
0: <laughs> exactly. And, and, and we even created a global tech association Out of Kumra members, um, and and we built that up. And I think that's, you you know, that's an idea. Here in Switzerland, we are good with associations, and and you can actually, you know, you you build um, good brand awareness. You can you can evangelize the market. You can talk to analysts. Out of that, and, and that's another maybe good thing, what we, what we did well, we covered well the analysts, mm-hmm. especially Gartner, which is the main analyst in, in the software industry. And, and they're always happy to think about new categories of market, mm-hmm. and they give you inputs, and then they also talk to the customers, to the market, and they can bring you leads. And so, nice. yeah, that, these are two examples, going for awards and creating associations.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to ask, like, you know, um, what is the actual business impact? Because that's always a bit tricky to understand before you do something. Like if, if someone comes to you right now and says, I want to create my own association and actually spend company money and time on that, how do you actually justify that investment? What What's the business outcome that you can also quantify at the end?
0: A lot of things you cannot quantify especially in this stage of of business development i think it's about um how much energy and time you can afford to invest and mm-hmm. then try it out and yeah. and fail fast and we created so much traction with that regtech association that we thought we were on the we were on the right move yeah. but of course it's uh it, it, there is always scarcity of resources and what not to do and what to do um yeah there uh, there is no There is no clear, um, yeah, I don't think there is any research done, for example, what what creating an association (laughs) in business development does for startups.
2: True, yeah.
1: Before we continue with the show, we would like to introduce you to our new partner, Nuco. Nuco helps founders navigate the paperwork that starting a company involves. From the first consultation all the way to the commercial register, Newco has helped more than 900 entrepreneurs start their company, and they do so at highly competitive prices. To find out more, visit newco.ch/swisspreneur. Again, that's newco.ch/swisspreneur. And now, on with the show.
2: And you also mentioned the importance of awards. You know, nowadays there are so many different competitions that you could participate. Usually, especially at the early stage, they all require a different sign up form and also are quite time consuming to participate, to pitch and so on. So are awards really worth it to participate and to potentially win? Or is it just a waste of time and you would better invest that time in sales or business development? Again, it's a, it, it's a good
0: question. If you win, if you, I mean, I think that's an important word used. You need to have some wins. Yeah. The best wins um, are in sales. If you win customer after customer with the same use case and the same value prop yeah. as an important um, attribute, then that <laughs> these are the best win. Yeah. Second best are probably fundraising wins. If you if you manage to come through from from round to round in financing yeah. your company, right. and then. You know, then it's then it's the next level down is um, winning awards, winning great partners, winning. I yeah. mean, winning great employees is definitely higher up in the ladder than the awards. Probably, sure. m- maybe it's even the top, yeah. the top win you need to achieve. But you need to have s- certain wins in every discipline because that gives you self confidence. Um, um, that gives you all of a sudden you see, hey. People are coming to you, talking positively about you. Yeah. And in the banking and compliance industry, you know, we could not celebrate each customer win yeah, as public, publicly yeah. as, as other companies can.
2: Yeah, but at least it was still a big internal win. So that's also good.
0: Yeah, and you know, something you need, you need those. Um, yeah. yeah, these these awards are nice because you can stand. stand and you know, <laughs> and bring them has, to podcast interviews, right? Exactly.
2: <laughs> Yeah, in that regard, I also remember a quote by Mark Cuban. He said, "Like no matter what tough times you're going through, sales cures it all. So if you make, if you close new deals, the world is just fine." Yep,
0: hundred percent agree on this one. It's just we do have examples um, where you can also uh, fail in t- too much success uh, because winning all the time has several aspects of you know you you might grow too fast and quality yeah. will drop you might um, not be careful enough anymore because you think you're winning anyway and uh, you yeah. know they're traps along the way as well but but i sure. agree in the end um, um, and that's why i say we should do this episode in switzerland with swiss yeah. Sales sales cures sales helps and sales is the most important thing when starting a company
2: who would you like to see on that episode?
0: Well, we have we have many good ones. I think we have from the fr- from the first generation of successful software entrepreneurs. I think Ariel Ludi is definitely one you already talked to. Um, uh, there is Daniel Gutenberg's similar situation. Um, also, great great person to learn from. Mm-hmm. And then from the younger ones, I think um, yeah, you already had some. I think. Andretto, Aporta is still one we all can learn a lot from. Um, when talking to to, to Sherpenny, but also Chris from Beekeeper, etc. I think one that is uh, can help a lot is Alberto Toledo um we're engaging with him in a in another startup he has a he has a great great mindset and then all the young guns like sylvan Cranbull and, <laughs> and and all the other sorts like you know i think uh yeah it, it, let's talk about that later and see sure. how what we could set
2: up i think there are more people that will enjoy a, a, an episode especially focused on sales yep. and uh, maybe you can even make it a live session so people can also ask their own questions so, you know, talking about also challenges is usually also associated with opponents. So in the prep call, you mentioned something very interesting to me. You said the biggest opponents along the way were basically you yourself. So you and Simon, you were your own biggest opponents. Please explain that. Uh,
0: again, um, one thing is too many ideas, um, uh, not enough strategic thinking, um, yeah. too strong on, on tactical wins. Um, then not really investing enough time in a proper product market fit and in a repeatable um, value proposition. That was the problem with the bootstrapping we already yeah. t- touched on. Um, I think these are the two main main points for from our side. But of course, we had fortunately enough we had competitors. Which, which was great, especially in the session recording replay field. And, and they also helped us um, in some sorts to, you know, make us comparable. And, 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 but then again, it was more about beating them. And when you go on a pitch, you know, then you beat them with extra features and not yeah. always with the strategic vision. And yeah,
2: yeah. fair point. Talking about uh, opponents usually also leads to the questions, who are your supporters? You already mentioned a few. You had, of course, your your clients from day one, your employees, but also important partners and your own network. So please focus a bit more on partners and network. In what way were they supporters?
0: Yeah, I think um, we quite often forget um, we have super strong um, software development companies in Switzerland. Um, I want to name three um, but there are more. Um, it's it's at Novum, it's Ergon, and it's uh, uh, etc. Um, and and they were helping. In our case, it was at Novum, um, but also we partner with, with Ergon in, in different areas. Ergon helps big time for Viac, for example. So there are many, many cases, and it's incredible. These are the smartest software engineers, and they develop individual software for, for the big Swiss customers and abroad. But how open... They were in our case with supporting us and they are in other case. I think it's a big, yeah. big shootout to, to them here in this episode for once. Um, nice.
2: Yeah. Th- that's actually something that I think is over underestimated that we have such big talent available here in Switzerland. So how do you actually work with them? Do you have the money to pay them? Because I can imagine they're probably not that cheap. Do you find a, a, an equity deal or how do you actually collaborate with such a company?
0: I think it's individual again. In our case, when we were bootstrapping, we we didn't have any spare cash, um, and, and the equity deal actually was not part of the of the possibilities for Adnovum back then. Mm-hmm. So what they just offered us was a super fair deal, and and part of it went into a loan, very okay. classical, yeah. and um, part of it actually only got paid back with the exit. But
2: but everything
0: got paid back, so that's, that's important. yeah. <laughs>
2: Cool, but I think that's really also think about that strategic option. You don't always have to outsource it or just hire a few people and then try to make it with your small team. There's actually much more power available. And in that regard, when does it make sense to partner up with uh, such a developing company like Adnovum in your case? Talk to them. Anyhow,
0: because as you said, they're the best talent. They've seen so many things. They're in the field. Um, they now also have startup experience, um, which True. which they probably did not have, have in as much when, when we contacted yeah. them. But they they're great. And you know, and then you will see. They will share. They're all engineer minded, but also business-minded people Mm. and um, it doesn't necessarily need to to lead to a joint project but just the exchange but just the exchange and i think here in switzerland that's what we're also lacking is just this openness and exchange and just talk to each other and not just within your own bubble and ecosystem of course all the startup founders talk to each other but hey it doesn't mean if so, if someone works in a corporate for many years, um, it, he's a bad person, or you don't get along with. You learn actually more. Again, that's a diversity topic. Talk to people
2: who are outside your own bubble. Yeah, very good recommendation once again. And you also mentioned network. So your personal network, you, you built a good personal network uh, during your time at Uniq. I just wonder, you know, in what way was that personal network helping you to get Kumram off the ground? And in what way did you actually build that? Was there any strategic rationale behind that? Or do you have any tips of how to approach that? Well, again, the first...
0: The first time I realized how much power there is in a network was during my foreign exchange year. I went through um, AFS, American Field Service. And, and, and you know, these, even though some of them I only met in one or two camps during that year, that was just a bond, you know, you could always rely on, on and call on to. So yeah. I realized um, it doesn't take so much effort and it doesn't always need the depth of a, uh, or the, uh, the the deepness of a friendship like with Simon. Right. A network can also work um, on a higher level and and. Yeah, unique. I mean, of our forty hires, we had probably uh, twenty Swiss hires, and half of them came from the from the unique network.
2: Yeah, that's the power of the network.
0: Yeah, and, and um, yeah, it's it's a mix. I think diversity. We talked about diversity, and it's not about complete diversity because some of it you need or at least I need a good mix. And and also, if you look at my network today, my, my friendship network, my business network, there is always people from the early days mm-hmm. and very recent ones. And I think this yeah. mix is another dimension of, of diversity, which I really embrace yeah. and appreciate.
2: Good point. So not only work with people that you've already known for five, 10 years.
0: No, no, yeah. definitely not. Because they know you, you know them. There is not much surprise. Yeah. There is not much upside.
2: You also mentioned earlier that you then in twenty fifteen actually took investors on board. So we now also talked about, you know, the challenges, the trade-offs that you had to make as a bootstrap company. So I just wonder after you took investors on board, what changed? Um, you know, was there any like big benefit for you that you suddenly say, Hey, now we can do things that we weren't able to do before? Of course we could
0: we could First, keep going and survive, most important thing, when, you, when Absolute, you're at a position. Yeah. But then we could, of course, scale up and, and, and grow. And maybe let's talk about business development again, because we had one investor from uh, Spain um, who was super well-connected in the financial industry, and he opened me doors in, in, in Paris, in Frankfurt, but also in nice. London. And I was able to talk to the, to the top banks at a, at a C-level. So super important. Yeah. Also, they're a learning. I mean, these warm introductions are key and they can accelerate your um, your sales process or your business development mm-hmm. dramatically. But also think um, they will always talk to you because they got an intro from a friend, from their network. Right. So you need to qualify them super hard or even do it the other way around. Build your own target list and say, I want to talk to this position in this bank instead of just... And, you know, I was so happy to finally have a lead list with names I could contact. Yeah. So I went after every every single one of them. And I probably should have had my target list, knowing which person to talk to. And then refuse some of these contacts and intros and go for other ones. Yeah. So, um, but... But yeah, again, network um, and, and smart money, meaning um, investor with those net, with this network and willingness to open doors is is super key, and it's not complicated. Huh? It's um, I mean I, I, I should show you these emails. There were mainly emails, intros, mm-hmm. two liners. Um, adding the cell number, the mobile number of the person I should contact, I could call, refer to that email, and they would answer and give me an appointment immediately because that's wow. how trustworthy these networks. Yeah,
2: yeah, that's super powerful. But at the same time, it can also be a distraction or lead you in the wrong direction if you don't qualify enough. Exactly, exactly. But- so how do you qualify?
0: Well, now we're going again in the, into the sales topic, sure. <laughs> not too much time there. But again, it's important to think first, um, who is actually your perfect target? Yeah. Um, um, and so you know, for example, um, is this bank um, compliance savvy, tech savvy enough? And then is the compl- who is who is the buying center? Is it the compliance who has the budget or is it still with the IT? Yeah. And you need to talk in sales, you always need to talk to the guy with the money with the budget.
2: Fair point. I see. You know, there's so much more on that topic that we can cover here. So we definitely need to do that live Q and A session. Now let's fast forward a bit. You mentioned the exit in 2017. You were acquired by Dynatrace, and I just also want to have your perspective. What ultimately made you say yes to that deal? Um, well, it was a,
0: it? It was a perfect fit. I mean, um, we, as I said before, we were going for the for the exit from scratch from the start. Mm-hmm. And then, um, what is important? It's important, of course, um, that no none of the S- investors um, that they all make money. That was a given. Yeah. For us, it was important that our core team, which was the tech department, the product department, had a great perspective. And with Dynatrace, I mean, that was exceptional. And um, I think Simon didn't really put that down, but you know, we had freelancers in India and Ukraine out of compliance, legal reason, we did not put them on our um, salary or our payroll, mm-hmm. but they were part of the core team. And yeah. even those freelancers, imagine, in that exit deal, they all offered them not only superb contracts with great um, compensation packages on, on on stock options, but they also paid for all their relocation from Bangalore and from from the Ukraine to Barcelona. Wow! And I think uh, that was, you know, they... We were life, cha- or Qumran was and Dynatrace were changing many lives of, of young um, software engineers. And I think that's, you know, that's probably the, what I'm most proud of,
2: of of, the, of this impact. That's super cool. Yeah. And you know, you mentioned again, the, the exit was always planned from day one, basically. Did he have a specific number in mind where you said, we want to sell a company for that amount or we personally want to make that amount? Was there any numbers game in that regard?
0: I mean, we had this famous note sheet I once did for my wife and I showed it to Simon. But <laughs> but to be honest, no, we did not have. And okay. I think that's another advice I would give the founders. Write that down and be okay. clear and transparent, especially with your board, with your investors, and in the best case, also with your employees. And make them part of this journey and, and show them their benefits from an exit as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I can, I can tell, and, th- and I didn't expect that. The earnout period at Dynatrace was actually a great, great experience, which I never thought of before. Yeah. And it's, and I think it's, it's wrong what we hear quite often that this day after the the exit, the day after the celebration, it's a, it's a bad wake up. I think you have had great examples also um, here in your call from Carbon Delta, for example, yeah. where, and, and I have many of those, where actually, because they pick up your idea, they pick up your brain, they pick up your team, they, they like that and they want to bring that to a next level. And I think a lot of the M&A deals we hear is just not, not good matches. And mm-hmm. I think when when it's mainly just going for the best possible price, you might not find the best possible fit, and yeah. then the earnout gets a bit uh, rough.
2: I can imagine. So, if you had to go back to the beginning of Qumram, if you had to write down a number, you know that you say we want to sell for that amount, what would we have written down? Um, no, Simon and I,
0: we always said it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, it 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 matters personally on our wallet that we kind of have the freedom, um, to afterwards at least for, for 10, 15 years, not to worry about income and, and probably have, and and have the the possibility to live from a passive income. Um, and and so that was us, but, but as, as I said, an absolute number, I, I would not write that down because, Mm -hmm. um, it always depends, but the finish line also so should have a certain time period, mm-hmm. because especially uh, if you if you run for a certain time, and especially in Switzerland, I think we're all good in marathon. All our startup entrepreneurs, we just like to stick to this, this one idea, mm-hmm. and 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 I think you know, make fail fast or yeah. succeed fast, and it doesn't always have to be. The unicorn company. I think that's sure. another myth. Um, it's 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 also a great success, and I we I see that in our example to have an exit, um, you know,
2: which which was also financially successful, right. but it's not a unicorn exit. Makes sense. And I just like to talk about numbers, you know. So if you think about personal freedom, how much money do you actually need? I mean, you have family and everything. Do you need like two million, five million, ten million? What's like a good number to uh, aspire or aim for?
0: I always say f- four million. Uh, that's I don't know what where I come where I had that from, but uh, yeah. for me, always these four million was kind of was kind of the the number, yeah. and then you know um, be be um, very. Uh, good on on the budget side on on your cost on your, your expenses right. but i think uh, you know being a father it's it's always good to have that for your kids as well yeah. um, going back maybe to the travel experience i think uh, when growing up or when traveling if you go on a low budget mm-hmm. um, if you don't have extra money to spend it's a different journey it's a more mindful journey and of course, it was my journey. That's why I can relate to. Um, but I, uh, uh, I like that. And you know, keeping keeping that in mind, I would always say, never spoil young entrepreneurs. Never spoil founders. Um, that's also an advice to all the investors. I think, in theory, they all know. But, but sometimes it's there's too much money. Too much money is not uh, is not helpful. It's 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 then great when you have a proven track record when you have a proven uh, product market fit and it's all about scaling. Then money is helpful, but up to then, too much money, in my opinion, is not is not um, uh, uh, ingredient for success.
2: Got it. So this has been a very interesting journey, your focus decade basically. Now we want to also talk about the more broad decades uh, that are. In the making or about to come. Since you've basically left Dynatrace after the exit, the earnout, you've then also been an active investor, advisor, and board member. And you invested in companies like AutumnFit or ThreatRate. Why do you basically invest in startups? Um, I'm, I mean, we haven't talked about my, my parents, but
0: both my parents are, are, are teachers, primary school teachers. Uh, I did a teacher's degree as well in, at ETH, and I think for me, um, I'm passing on experience and, and teaching others or or, um, or enabling others is is what I really care about and have a, a passion for. And then it's just normal, um, just what we do today, sharing this and, and actually, um, I believe ac- action is 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 worth more than words. So actually, yeah. being part of of their journey is is what I want to do. Um, in 2017, end of 2017, if you would have asked me, I probably would have said no. Hey, I just need to recover. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, and and but then I realized already a few months later, hey, no, there is energy, there is money.
2: Let's 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 start um I'm helping and enabling and supporting others. You got it. And you also invested in other startup funds like Wingman Ventures or Uber Morgan Ventures. So why do you also do that and not just invest all your money by yourself? Yeah, I think first is is topics. I have like three topics I invest
0: in. That's the, the software industry, especially B2B SaaS, because that's yeah. what I know. Um, then it's um, what I... What I care most about, in the end, also for my kids, is the environmental topic. Um, there is definitely my engagement as a board member at MetioTest and and the Übermorgen uh, investment, and then of course the health sport aspect, where there is just so much passion. That's Aurum and all the, the kite fund and, and the gin kites investments. Um, why not only direct investments? Um, again, I think it's I like to go broad. But you know there is still limits, and 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 the expectation from my wife and my kids at home are also um, that I spend some more time there. So right. um, going through funds um, just allows me to have an impact on more individual startups mm-hmm. and not
2: having so much time to allocate to to each one of them. Got it. And no, in that regard, you know, we talked about being broad, being specific, laser focused being broad. So what happens after this being more broad? Time that you have right now, do you plan to start another company and go more laser focused again, or what? What are your plans? I mean, I already started. I was I was co founding
0: uh, together with Thomas Tübenorth and the real two um, founders, um, Threatray. We were there in the founding team at uh, at the Kite Fund company. There was actually. Simon, Jonas Hiller, the former NHL goalkeeper, um, Pascal Mattis um, managing director and, and founder of Wingman. So we already founded more companies. But as you hear, there I am only a small founder. I'm not the main founder anymore. Um, so this is already happening. And I also am in- engaging... Uh, a bit focused now, um, more focused and more and more focused on on two companies, which one is ThreatRay, where I really helped to, to establish that business development mm-hmm. because it's a deep tech company till now. And now we are doing first steps um, in the go, go to market. And Aurum Fit, as, as you are also a customer of, I think uh, you know uh, this is this is one of the top companies we will hear a lot of the next few years in Switzerland and um, uh, the interesting part maybe if I have a minute or so to of talk course. about Aurumfit as well is that a it it covers a need we we really have and it's 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 the the strength building, the muscle building, um, um, which is one important factor in, in the aging process, but also in preventing inflammatory disease. Um, so it's not a, a fitness case which might some people say because but it's a really a health case and what is super interesting at our room we actually have a complete vertical integration so the hardware is produced by ourselves in Switzerland which is quite unique yeah. uh, we have the software and we have the entire concept of the high intensity training is also um, um developed by the two founders and then that's super cool and I I see every day I work there the, how much I love the product how much I love the team so you probably, I probably already have a small focus it's only two days a week but there it's a laser focus and what I learned there because there always needs to be a learning experience we will grow through a franchise business model and so I'm looking currently for um, young sporty healthy um, people in Switzerland who actually want to open uh, an hour room in their town and I think that's a great entrepreneurial start if I make that, make that commercial call. So if you want to be um, an entrepreneur and have a proper playbook which tells you exactly what to do to become successful, reach out to me or go on the ourroomfit.com webpage. There is a franchisee subpage, landing page, and you can fill out the form and I will contact
2: you. Fantastic. Yeah, I think I would actually open one myself if I didn't already have a really cool project going on. Hey, Silvan, there is always room, you know, there's always room for other ideas. (laughs) You talk about focus before, so now I I need to take that seriously. You're right. You're right. So we actually also do a second episode with you about staying healthy as a founder. I think a very important topic that probably doesn't get the attention it deserves. So we wrap up this episode for now with a question about your favorite resources and gadgets. I'm sure you have something that you can recommend to our listeners.
0: Yeah, I would... I would recommend. I would like to recommend um, three books and then an, another reading device, um, which is a uh, traditional uh, books. I actually like to read them on still on paper, mm-hmm. even though some I listen to and some I also have <laughs> digitally. The first of one is uh, is Vagabonds. That's a, a travel book by by Rolf Potts, and I think he describes really well what entrepreneurial. Um, adventures and traveling having commons and I can just really relate to because I did a lot of traveling before starting yeah. my entrepreneurial career and, and it helped me much and and Tim Ferries is actually one of the ones who helped him to promote and and Tim Ferries is is one I like really in uh, in, in providing tools for entrepreneurs so nice. that's that's one recommendation Second one is is range um, from from David Epstein. He's a environmental scientist like me by profession, and then he was into sports, uh, a journalist, and he he writes in range really that generalists um, have a big advantage over specialists, and I think that's a good read for founders as well who always think, hey, we need specialists, specialists, specialists. Mm-hmm. I think you need a lot of generalists to actually be successful in today's and tomorrow's world when um, the world is changing so fast and so much that too early specialization is probably a trap. So that's my second recommendation. Great. And the third is... Uh, A book by um, Lee Lefebvre, Lefebvre or Lefebvre, like the Americans say. That's the the founder of of Common Crafts. That's this um, episode where they explained with um, hand sketches um, how um, Twitter works, how uh, Doodle works. Mm -hmm. And the book he wrote is big enough. And it's it's kind of the antidote, the antithesis to uh, go big or go home. He says, he talks how you can be a very successful entrepreneur um, and, and doing a lot of strategic thinking, business model change without having the need and permanent urge and permanent pressure to grow. And uh, Nicole Herzog from the, the board member from Sherpeny, for example, she's a friend. I learned from Twitter from, from Lee and she also re- wrote a little quote in, in his book and that's actually how I found nice. it. And I think it's, It's great. Um, It opens again your mindset and and it's a very entrepreneurial book as well. These are the three books. And then from a daily read, I want to go to a Swiss product. Um, I I think the newspaper Republic is is very good content-wise. Um, that's the only newspaper I read these days. Mm-hmm. And it's also interesting from an entrepreneurial perspective how they actually set that up and all readers and customers are actually investors and especially how they do the investor relation communication before the funding and also now when they need more capital and how they communicate with the customers and their investors. I think it's it's one to
2: learn from and that's... yeah. That's the conclusion of my recommendation. Fantastic. And we are already getting really excited to have you back here for the second episode. Matthias, thank you so much for sharing your stories and great learnings. I think we can probably put a few quotes as posters on the wall from your saying and sh- uh, sharing of experience. Thank you so much. Thanks, everyone.
0: Big pleasure.
1: This episode was brought to you by Swisspreneur's main partner, Clara Business the digital all-in-one solution for small businesses. Managing internal processes manually and on paper wastes an incredible amount of time. That's why Clara digitizes everything, allowing you to focus on what really matters, your core business. Go to clara.ch to find out how your business administration can be simpler, faster, and more efficient. Again, that's clara.ch.